0: In May last year, I got to travel to Melbourne and take part in an intensive that Ed Welsh taught, Uh, and Ed's taught four of the counselling classes that I've done in my Biblical counselling training. The thing was, I'd done all of them from a distance, learning online. He's based over in the US, in Philadelphia, and the only mode of kind of training they offered was online, and so I'm doing it online, watching video lectures recorded, uh, interacting with students online. So this opportunity to go last year and hear him in person in Melbourne was really exciting for me. Uh, But one of the things that struck me from my time there was Ed's humility. During class, he said, the Lord's been growing me in humility. After 40 years of counselling, someone asked me a tricky question and I'm more free to say, I don't know. But I knew those weren't just empty words for Ed. Uh, speaking to him during the break, I asked how he was holding up. You know, it's long days of standing on your feet. And he's, he's you know, getting, getting on a bit in years now. And he said, you know, Sherry, my wife, that's his wife, Sherry and I have been out here a number of times for these intensives, but I've always ended up falling sick by the end of it. And uh, this time we've planned a week's recovery when we get back. And I'm learning that I, I just need to have quiet evenings back at our accommodation to pace myself. So his growth in humility, it wasn't just in being quicker to say, I don't know. It's also this growth in learning to live within his means, within his limits. I wonder how you are growing in your humility. After all, this is actually what the Lord calls us to. Listen to Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Where are we? We're in our last sermon from Proverbs. We've been doing it over January, these three Sundays, the first Sundays. And we're looking today at particularly kind of thematically what it has to say about humility, the whole of Proverbs, and how that changes our relationships with one another. How does Proverbs define humility? It's a good question to ask I think it's really closely related to a fear of the Lord. It's actually shaped by a fear of the Lord, as we'll see. So listen to the way that humility and fear of the Lord are paired together in Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honour and life. Here, humility and fear of the Lord, they describe someone's lifestyle. It's like the sum total of what describes them. Now, Hayley and I are revisiting a course that we've done in the past at the moment called the Focus Course. It is a course that aims to bring things into sharp focus, what's important to us, shaping kind of big picture planning, schedules, decisions, habits. One of the steps in the first module is to boil down your life vision by selecting two values that are most important to you. You start by coming up with ten or so. And the hard part is boiling it down to the two that are most important. And you write this statement, in my roles as X, Y, and Z, all the the roles that comprise your life, I want to express, impart, and exemplify the values of, I think what I'm landing on is love and wisdom. But see how this proverb, it's giving us two core values, humility and fear of the Lord. Let's consider Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 8. I think this is one of the the clearest places that we see humility and a fear of the Lord being described. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And notice the word humility, it's not used here, but I think it's describing the posture of humility. What's the posture being described? Well, in verse 5, it's placing our confidence in God. It's trusting in Him with all that we have. We trust in Him and not our own understanding. In verse 6, we submit all of our ways to Him. There's nothing, not one area of our life that doesn't come under Him. There's nothing that's off-limits for him to speak into. Nothing that he isn't fit to rearrange as he sees fit. Now, These verses also show us that there's an opposite to humility. In verse 5, it's to lean on our own understanding, to trust in ourselves. In verse 7, it's to be wise in our own eyes. This reminds me of that tragic refrain running through the book of Judges. Perhaps you can remember it, that we looked at it some time back as a church. Uh, We see it in so many of the characters. People like Samson. There's just no thought for the Lord and his ways. Each person acting as he sees fit. And the book ends with this verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They had a king, the Lord, but they chose a different path. They chose a different wisdom than the fear of the Lord. They chose instead to be wise in their own eyes. What's another word for this? Pride. Pride says, I'm big and God is small. Humility says, God is big and I'm small. At its heart, humility fears God and shuns evil. Verse 7. This brings health to our bodies and nourishment to our bones. Verse 8. It leads us to flourish because this is the way we were always meant to live. How do we live by fear of the Lord? Well, I think of someone that I met with during the week gone by. She said, I just really need God. Pray that I would lean on Him. Now, this person experiences chronic mental health challenges, and yet there's something that she sees very clearly I need God. I really need him to be near to me and to help me. Without him, I don't have anything else. The reality is the same for you and I, isn't it? Some of us know that more than others. One of the challenges is some of us are more functional than others. Uh, temptation is to put our, put our trust in, in us and our abilities, us and our capacity, us and our function, and not in the Lord. There's, there's not one person that's beyond the need of the Lord's daily sustaining care. The longer we know him, the more we realise how much we need him. We're seeing that wisdom is shaped by fear of the Lord. It's worth noting that there's only one person who consistently lived out this attitude. Jesus, the true human. Consider what Matthew tells us about him in Matthew eleven twenty-nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Do you have any doubt what humility looks like? Uh, you read Jesus, you see the way that he lived among us. It's humility lived out. We look to him as our saviour and master who makes us like him, humble in heart. So far we've seen humility shaped by a fear of the Lord, but this brings us to our second point. Humility produces good. Now I'm wanting to focus on the benefits that humility has for those around us. So let's start with the good that's produced from our listening. If you want a good litmus test of your humility, the way you listen or don't listen, it actually communicates something powerful. Look at Proverbs 18, 12 to 13. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Verse 12 has that classic, pride comes before a fall idea. We'll come back to honour later. What's the connection between verse 12 and verse 13? Isn't it that a haughty heart, a proud heart, it jumps in and it answers before it's taken time to listen. Here's an example. It sounds a bit trivial, but the other week while I was writing the previous sermon, I was called up by a, a telemarketer asking for a Mr. Shaman. I don't know if you've ever had that question before. And I tried to explain, I've had this number for the past year. I, it might have belonged to Mr. Shaman, but not anymore. And then just lose, launches in saying, Mr. Shaman, blah, 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 blah. He responded without listening. And that is folly and shame. I don't have any ongoing relationship with this guy, but what's it do in a relationship when we do that, someone who is in our lives? Well, actually, it closes a door. This person doesn't listen. I shared something small, but they didn't take it in. Why would I share my heart with them? And if you listen, the opposite's true. It opens a door. This person is trustworthy. They handled with care what I shared with them. I feel safe sharing a bit more. Consider the good that comes from listening to others. In this case, listening to commands. Proverbs 10 verse 8. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. The wise person takes to heart the Lord's commands. They're a person under authority willing to hear and be shaped by wisdom, by instruction. And you see something similar in Proverbs 13, 13. Whoever scorns instruction will pay for it. But whoever respects a command is rewarded. What happens when you scorn an instruction? Perhaps a child, getting words from a parent, I'm not going to do that. Who are they to tell me what to do? Well, you'll pay for it. Things won't go well for you. And if you respect the command, if you take it to heart, you'll be rewarded. A parent's love for you will bear fruit in your life. You'll be spared painful consequences. We also enjoy the harmony of that relationship. Listening will strengthen the bond. Trust increases. The same goes with our relationship with the Lord. When we do what he says, we taste his goodness to us. Trust. Sorry, we enjoy sweet relationship with him. I think again of our own child that I mentioned last week, who I remain nameless. Uh, His child was in a timeout. There's a moment of discipline coming to speak with him after he'd he'd sat there for the time that we'd we'd said. The problem was, none of our words were going in. He He was just stuck. He was like, it's all my sibling's fault. But the lack of humility, the lack of willingness to listen in that moment, keeps that child stuck not seeing, Here's someone older and wiser than me who can show me a better way. And this resistance, it impacts the relationship. How different would it be if the response was, I was wrong. Help me to see a better path. I'm all ears. Well, humility is needed whether you're a child or a leader of a nation. So let's look at Proverbs 11 verse 4 from our reading. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. What happens when there's no humility, when pride reigns? A leader rules with an "I know I-know-best attitude. There's no need to listen to others, to widen the circle of wisdom. Do that, and the nation's likely to fall. That is, without that I-know-best attitude. Instead, humility, it invites, advises. It seeks the input of others. This is what I'm thinking. Is there something I'm missing? What do you think? Do that and you'll secure victory. What's the good that humility delivers here? It's an outcome that's good for those around you. So in our decisions, we don't go it alone. We invite others into our dilemmas uh, we seek the wise input of those that we trust, people who've shown that they want what's good for us. Well, another good humility produces is the impact our fear of the Lord can have on those around us. So listen particularly for the impact on our children in Proverbs fourteen, twenty-six to twenty seven. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. When we fear the Lord, He is a secure fortress for us, a safe place. But we also teach our children something in that moment. Where is true safety found? Where do they find refuge? In fearing the Lord. Our fear of the Lord is a fountain of life for us. It turns us away from destructive ways but also models something to those around us. One of the fruits of humility that the New Testament brings into sharp focus is our thinking about other people, having them on our hearts and our minds. So it's summed up in that phrase, I think, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So we read in Philippians, Paul speaks of This great comfort and encouragement we've received from knowing Jesus and how that overflows in our relationships with others. So Paul calls us as God's people then, since that's the case, to be of one mind, to have the same kind of love. And then Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you, the interest of the others at this point i want to remind you of the the one relationship i've been asking you to focus on through this so for those of you who are not here i've just been asking people to think of one person that they're likely to in, have interactions with over the coming week as the focus for, for thinking about where these things land in a real relationship so think of that relationship in your mind where do you see humility working itself out Are you going with listening to this person? Perhaps it's the kind of relationship that requires making decisions together. And if so, are you seeking helpful input from others? Are you opening up that that circle of wisdom? Or are you kind of steaming ahead, thinking you've got this? Are there ways that you're seeking their interests ahead of your own? Are there ways that you're conscious of what's good for them? We'll come back to some more of the how we grow in humility towards the end. But the second point has been, we've seen humility produces good. That brings us to the third point. Humility leads to honour. And we see pride and humility contrasted again in Proverbs 11, verse 2, in our passage. Listen for the outcome of pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. What's the outcome of pride? Disgrace. It's the loss of honor, shame, losing reputation. What's the outcome of humility? Take a look at Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-three. A person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honor. So, pride leads to disgrace, but humility leads to honor. And Proverbs seems to highlight this again and again. Have a look at Proverbs 3:34 to 35. He, that is God, mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. So here is God, and he mocks the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Fools only get shame. Now this is actually the verse that's in the background that, that's kind of picked up in the New Testament in 1 Peter 5.5 5 and James 4.6 as, you might be familiar with it, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. We also read this counsel about how to stand in the presence of greatness in Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7. Don't boast about yourself before the king, and don't stand in the place of the great, for it is better for him to say to you, Come up here, than demote you in plain view of a noble. I think Jesus actually knew these verses really well. I wonder if you can hear the wisdom of this proverb that we've just read echoing through his parable in Luke 14 7 to 11. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. That when your host comes, he'll say to your friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus knew this reality. Humility leads to honour. But it's worth us thinking through how this works. I think it plays out both in the here and now, in this life but also, in a more permanent sense, in the life to come. So if you're characterised by pride, chances are people around you, they're going to notice. No one likes someone who's full of themselves. When I was working for a web design company back in Newcastle, uh, we took on this project of designing a website for a surgeon. But the trouble was, his expert knowledge, I think had really gone to his head. He was convinced that his success as a surgeon I meant he was also an expert in web design. Perhaps you've met people like this. And he just kept meddling with the process of us designing his website. He insisted on using these really cringy 3D modelled stock graphics, didn't have real people, but they were 3D models just in, in white with these red colors, just really, really cringy and, and glaring, much to our horror, but he wanted to play on ahead he didn't put himself under us looking to our skills and experience. He related over us, dictating. Our response as a team was like, this guy's a jerk. He's so arrogant. His pride that came out in interaction with our team, it, it led to disgrace. Disgrace in the sense that we struggled to have respect for him. But here's an opposite example. Humility. Again, back in Newcastle, a fellow youth group leader at the time, he was a big Switchfoot fan, and he had the opportunity to meet John Foreman, the, the lead singer of Switchfoot. And they had a personal conversation uh, following this co- uh, concert. And John was warm, friendly, relatable. But fast forward a couple of years, and my friend Jeff had the opportunity to meet John Foreman again. Hey Jeff, how are you doing? He actually asked some specific questions that he'd remembered about Jeff's life and their previous interaction. He was genuinely interested in Jeff, and that left an imprint. Was the impact of John's humility? He's just not a guy who sings about Jesus. This guy has the real deal. His fame hasn't gone to his head. He actually really cares. Humility led to honour. The way John related it, it produced a certain kind of respect. Now riffing on that proverb I mentioned earlier uh, that James refers to, God opposes the proud but gives favour to the humble. So a few verses later, James says this, James 4 verse 10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The same principle plays out as we walk with the Lord. If we cover up our sin, we refuse to confess it, we'll experience the Lord being against us. God opposes the proud. But if we confess it in humility, we see our wayward hearts for what they are, the Lord will lift us up. Isn't that your experience in the here and now? That confession, it's like this pathway to having a burden lifted. The shame over what we've done is is taken away. And in the Lord's tenderness, he, he lifts our head again so that we can stand tall rather than walking around with their heads down. But the principle applies in a more permanent sense. The Bible's message is that those who remain proud, who keep pushing back against God's authority in their life, one day they'll reap disgrace for good. They'll get what they've wanted, an eternity without God. The trouble is it'll be anything but good. But those who humble themselves now before God, they'll be lifted up in a permanent sense. Those who own their sin and take shelter in Jesus, who trust in his rescue, they'll be lifted up to life forever with him. We've seen humility leads to honour. Together, our three points have been, firstly, humility is shaped by a fear of the Lord. Secondly, humility produces good. And thirdly, humility leads to honour. I just want to close with, with two different lines of application. First one, there's there's a number of short steps that I'd like to think through together about how to cultivate humility. And then just a brief suggestion after that for ongoing application beyond these three tools. So firstly, how do we cultivate humility? One, pray with God as big. And when you pray, you're aiming to bring your real pressures, troubles and worries to God. Being honest is important. But you want to do so in such a way that you're seeing God as bigger and bigger, so that you and your problems shrink, even if it's just a little bit. Here's an example. Lord, I feel the burden of growing this business. I'm weak and limited. You say that unless you build the house, the builders labor in vain. Would you help me to work faithfully And would you help me to leave the outcome in your hands? Give me a confidence that you will supply what's best for me." Two, practice thankfulness. Actively thanking the Lord for his work in your life. And in all the ways that you experience his goodness, it can be a great antidote to pride. Helps you to realize just how much you do need God and rely on him every day. It's another way to realize how big he is in your life. Or three, listen well. Listen well to others. Uh, What are we aiming for in our conversations? Uh, Let's take our interaction together after our service this morning as an example. We want to relate to each other in such a way that we listen for what's important to someone else. We're not just listening for words, but we also want to pick up on how someone's feeling. And we want to be impacted by them. Uh, We want to go away feeling something of what they feel that that's what it's like when you listen well fourth we ask questions part of listening well it's picking up on what's important to someone else and then it's asking further questions to show interest and draw them out so your sister Rhonda has had a really tough week what do you imagine this what week might be like for her how might it impact you and part of asking questions is not assuming If something's unclear, or we didn't hear properly, it's easier for us to pretend that we know what was said. I think we all do it at times, right? Yeah, yeah, we know, but we don't really know what we're agreeing to. Instead, humility, it asks. Sorry, I, I didn't get that. Or I'm not sure I understood what you meant. Can you help me understand? Can you say it again? It's an attitude of showing interest. I really want to know you. Five, we accept limitations. Humility sometimes says, no, I can't do that. We have limited capacity. We can't do everything. Accepting limits means we're more free to say, I don't know, like Ed Welsh. Or I think of the practice of practicing Sabbath, carving out one day in your week that's distinctly for rest. It's different. The work that you do in the other parts of your week, you're saying functionally, actually, Lord, I give this to you. I can't keep working every day of the week. The outcome's in your hands. I need rest. Six, develop a healthy uh, wariness of your own heart. Haley's grandma, she was known for asking the Lord that she would have enough for what she needed to live well for God. But also along with that, she added this prayer, that she would not have so much that it would become a snare for her. We don't assume that we can resist sin and temptation. Instead, we're wary of our own tendency to turn away from the Lord, for blessings to actually become temptations to lead us away from God. Well, my final line of application is this. uh, What do we do after three weeks of teaching from Proverbs? Uh, I think change in the Christian life is like the environmental slogan. Think globally act locally the reality is we we just can't do everything at once but if we focus on one specific thing over a period of time it does really make a difference so this is my suggestion pick one of the three character traits that we've looked at over the last three weeks sweet speech self-control or humility and make that one the focus for your next six weeks consciously ask for the lord's help it might be helpful to for you to journal about your experiences with the person that I've asked you to focus on and track your progress how are you moving forward what does change and growth look like in relationship with this person well, let's close by seeking the Lord's help in prayer Heavenly Father uh, through our time in Proverbs you've been opening our eyes you've been growing us in wisdom. You've been giving us new ways to think, showing us new ways to respond, ways of living out life with others that are shaped by you and your goodness. Would you be bigger to us than what we've seen before? Would you help us to seem that little bit smaller? Would you grow us in humility? As we come to the end of these three weeks, Would you help us moving forward? Help us to put what we've heard and learnt into practice. May you make us more and more like Jesus. In his name.